Several weeks ago, we started a conversation on intimacy. What does intimacy mean? It means to be fully known and to fully know, to know somebody, to be real, um, to have a close person, friend in your life. That's what intimacy is all about, is being open, vulnerable, um, accepting one another regardless, welcoming one another regardless. To uh, Into me, you see, is kind of a way I like to phrase it, but it's to know and to be fully known. And so we talked about that. We were created eyes up here, we are created for relationships, we are created for intimacy, we are created for community, Um, that's how God intended it to start with, and then we send, that messes things up, when you run away from intimacy, it leads to fear, it leads to shame, it leads to hiding, it leads to blaming, those are some of the things that we talked about, and then we talked about your relationships, Um, we drew a circle on the ground, or a target, Several circles. Um, and we talked about how that is you and your relationships. Here's another little picture of it. Is in the middle is you and Jesus. Jesus is the one that knows you more than anybody else, even more than you know yourself. And so only Jesus fits in the middle with you. But then you start having these relationships that are, that are your close ones, your most intimate relationships. For, for me, Stormy is the next step, next little circle out. Um, but as you go out, you have my family, you have friends. And as you go through life, those people kind of change spots. Stormy started on the outside. I didn't know her. Then she, I kind of knew her. Then she became a friend. Then she became a girlfriend. Then we got engaged. And then we got married. And like she worked her way into my life. And same for me. I, I earned my way into her life. And that's what these relationship, relationships are all about. And we talked about the boundaries. That's the lines. If you don't have good, clean, uh, 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 established boundaries in your relationships, people get to walk all over you. And you don't feel loved. You feel um, used and abused. Um, and, and that's not good. And so that's kind of where we've been. Last week, we talked about just some wisdom from uh, some guys over at the men's retreat. And I just wanted to share that with you. That you don't know where others are at. That the church, the body of Christ, the people, can really make a difference in your life if you let it. That we ought to just love one another and that you are not alone. You are not alone. You might feel like it, but you're not. And that's a truth that's hard to just, hard to believe. You can know it up here, but it's hard to just know it down here. Um, And so that's kind of where we've been. And so tonight... I want to talk about poker. <laughs> How are you going to play your cards? Um, have any of y'all ever played poker? So, so simply, and, and tonight, after this lesson, you can go tell your parents that I taught you how to play poker, and then they can call me, um, and I'll be in trouble. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But in poker, so in, in, in the most classic version, Texas Hold'em, you get two cards, okay? And then... Five cards are thrown down, um, and you're trying to play the best hand, the best set of five cards out of the seven that are out there. You have five on the table and two in your hand, okay? And so you get to combine these two with any three out there, and you're looking for the best one you can get. Does that make sense? Um, y'all have probably heard the term of, of making bets on it or calling, which uh, it's not important. Um, folding, that means you feel like you don't stand a chance, so you just throw your cards out there and you're done. Um, and you play multiple rounds. You're constantly going through the deck, playing these five-card um, little games, these little poker games, okay? Um, and that's, that's what you're doing. And that's how you, you know, that's the very, very summarized 
we're using a uh, uh, way to play poker. But life, life has com- been compared to a lot of things. Life is like a box of chocolates, box of chocolates which, which is weird because what, what's the rest of that phrase? You know exactly what you're getting. It's called chocolate, um, but whatever. And then on the box, it tells you what's in there. You never know what's in it, though. Chocolate! No, there's not always chocolate in the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, now if I sing, life is a highway. I was just curious if anybody. Uh, that's really all I know, so I can just say that. So... Um, all right, so bring it in, bring it in. Life has been compared to a lot of things, and I'm sure you can come up with more, but those are the two I came up with. I want you to compare life to um, a hand of cards. A hand of cards, okay? Um, uh, uh, your hand of cards, those five cards or, or, or two cards in your hand that you're trying to play to get the best result. And that's what we're going to talk about, is looking at our life like a hand of cards that have been dealt from the ultimate deck of life, okay? And so, nope. If life were a deck of cards, man, some cards, man, will bring you great joy. You know, I have a king. That's good. That brings me joy. I have a better chance. And then sometimes you end up with a two and, and an eight. I have a two and an eight here. Um, and, and, and sometimes... You know, if you're talking about the, the cards of life, some cards will bring you struggle, it'll bring you pain, it'll bring you sorrow, grief. Um, and uh, yeah, Joker is a good one because it just kind of depends on where you're at. Some people are okay with Jokers in their lives, but some people want something more and not just a bunch of foolish people. Um, so the cards that you've been dealt, listen, when it comes to the game of life, the cards that you've been dealt, you're stuck with them. You don't get to go fish. You don't get to trade out. The cards that you've been dealt in life, you're stuck with. And you have to figure out what you're going to do with them, okay? And so um, some of your cards that you get might not be your fault. You know, it might be passed down from your family or uh, brought over by your friends or, you know, and you might get something that's good or bad based off of somebody else. If somebody compliments you, that's a card. You're like, that's encouragement. That's a good card, encouragement. If somebody beats down on you or calls you things, that's, that kind of tears you down. That, that can hurt your, not only your body, but your heart. And so regardless of how, and, and, and honestly, some cards that you're dealt may be from God. That God might give you certain cards and you're stuck with them. And regardless of the cards that you have in your hand, God expects you to play the hand that you have, the hand that you've been dealt, and to play to win. And so we're talking about how will you play your cards. I want to look at, uh, if you want, grab a Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. But um, we're, we're going to look at Job. And if you're looking for Job in the Bible, open up near the middle. You'll find Psalms and then just go left. Um, and you'll run into Job. Um, but we're going to talk about Job's story because his is a great example of some cards that were dealt. So let's look at Job's life. And here's how it starts out. There was a man, there was a man in the country of us um, named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Okay? Eyes up here. Kyla, come on. So Job, what, you know, he's, he's 
uh, given a few attributes here that he is a man of integrity. Anybody know what integrity means? Doing the right thing at the right time. Dependable, genuine is kind of a doing the right thing when nobody's watching. Yep. Um, integrity, um, and here's here's kind of some of the definitions offline. Um, it's a general concept talking about the state of somebody being whole or complete, um, an uprightness in character. Like you're just a good person. You're authentic. Um, and then when something's going on, when a, when a situation arises. You know, you always adhere to your moral principles, to what you think is right and good, regardless of who's watching, like y'all were saying. Um, so he's in, he has integrity. But he also feared God. What does it mean to fear God? To be scared. To be scared. That's one aspect of it. Respect. There you go. So, so there's two. When the Bible says the fear of the Lord or fear God, fear the Lord, there's two aspects of it. Um, you can you can actually be afraid of God because you you made him mad, um, or you've done something wrong, or you can be you can fear the Lord with respect and honor. You understand that He is the sovereign one; He's in control, um, and I'm not, and I'm going to respect that. Okay. Um, so then the other thing is that He turned away from evil. This isn't just a passive. I walked by and uh, I just kind of ignored that thing that was going on in my life or over there. No, he chose what was right. He turned away from evil. He actively chose what was good and right. So that's how Job is introduced, okay? That's how he's introduced. Look at what else. Um, he had seven sons and three daughters. Uh, he had an estate that uh, included 7,000 sheep and goats. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. A yoke means two. There's two of them there. So 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. And Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Okay, so we start with he has integrity. He fears the Lord. He, you know, he, he worships God. He walks with God. Um, and he chooses what's right. And he's very rich. Cade? I, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, but he's not as rich as Job. And I'll show you why in a minute. Um, no, but, but uh, no, he, he has a ton of stuff. So one, he has 10 kids, seven boys, three girls. So that's going to carry his family on for a long time. Um, the name of the family, the inheritance, all that stuff. Y'all focus, y'all focus. 7,000 sheep and goats. So he can get all this wool and sell it for profit. Some goats, you know, produce milk. And so... There's that, some food, you can cook goats up and eat them. Um, I don't typically do that, but he has 3,000 camels. And I, here's, how, here's how I want you to picture that. 3,000 camels, what are camels good for? No. Traveling, carrying stuff. I don't know what y'all said, but I'm just going to go with what I said, okay? Traveling and carrying stuff, okay? Think of, he has 3,000 camels. What is he going to use that for? Well, he, well, but he only needs a few, right? He only needs, yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't travel. Hey, listen, he doesn't travel like most of y'all. When you say, hey, pack a suitcase, you find a refrigerator box and stuff your room in it. Um, some of y'all do that. I've seen y'all pack for youth camp. Um, or I've heard stories. But anyway, no, think of Job like this. He had enough camels to loan them out to others. He had the first U-Haul business. Um, <laughs> Like, like he was able to make money just off of his camels. But what else did he have? He had 500 yoke of oxen, 1,000, 500 teams. 
So oxen are used to plow fields. They're used to, you know, they're bulldozers. They were the first bulldozer. Um, he had 500 teams of oxen. That shows you that he has a lot of land, a lot of property, a lot of fields, a lot of crops, most likely. All right, keep going. Keep going. Um, like nobody has 500 deer, John Deere tractors um, without fields to put work to him. Um, but uh, 500 donkeys. And, and this is what's kind of weird. At least uh, this is what I found. I don't know anything about it. Donkeys are just there to make fun of. It's my idea of a donkey. There you go. Um, it's called a brother, right? <laughs> All right. So donkeys were good for the, apparently their milk, their delicacy of their milk that they produced. I don't know. It was valuable. All right. So we move on. And then it says, listen, listen, a large number of servants. All sorts of people that worked under him. So, okay, we get this idea. Job's a good guy, and he's, he's rich, okay? So, when it came to Job, he had some good cards. He had some good cards in his life. Good cards to play with, okay? What? No. Carissa, probably. Carissa. Yeah. I should have written that down. But, all right, so Job had good cards. A lot of good, you know, he, when he was dealt his cards, he is, you know, obviously, he's set up pretty well. He's a good guy. He's, you know, you know, he went from being a good man to having a, a good fortune. But his cards showed that he had it all and he could, you know, he could outplay anybody. He was the greatest of all time, the greatest in the East. Um, anybody else didn't measure up to this guy named job look at uh look at what it says next um job had good cards one day listen listen this uh oh i missed some verses here anyway what it says is that uh even um his sons and his daughters when they would go back to their houses they would have these big feasts and then they would all eat over here and then all eat over here like they were all rich like things were going well in Job's life. And what he would do is after those uh, feasts, after those get-togethers, he would, the next day, he would pray for his kids. He would take some animals. He would go sacrifice one for every one of his kids just in case they sinned the previous day. Just in case. That's what it says in verse 4 through um, 5 there. He's like, look, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And it was Job's regular practice to go make offerings so that just in case they sinned, they could walk in forgiveness. That's the guy Job was, okay? Then the, ch- the scene changes, and here's where it gets really interesting, okay? One day, the sons of God, which is another word for just heavenly beings, and really the bad ones, the demons that we're kind of talking about here, they came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them, And the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered, and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered to the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything that he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said, told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, you're not to touch him. Lay a hand on Job himself. 
And so Satan left the Lord's presence. So there's this scene. You know, you have Job doing really well. Then you have this scene behind the scenes of Satan talking with God. God says, hey, Job's a pretty good guy. Satan's like, only because you've given him lots of stuff. And God's like, eh, uh, no, uh, have, have your way. Have at it. So let me, let me uh, what, what's your first thought when you read that? Yeah. Why? Why? No, I'm not asking you this. I'm, 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 why would? Why? No, no. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Why would God do that? Why would God cause suffering? Think about it. That's why I said think about it because most of y'all don't know what rhetorical means. Go for it. Job, I don't think Job dressed up in a camel outfit and went and fought crime. So, um, all right, so hold on, hold on, hold on. Just think about it for a second. Satan says, Job only worships you because you give him a lot of stuff. And God says, okay, I'm going to allow Satan here to deal Job some difficult cards. And the question that when you're reading this, why would God do that? You're like, okay, I want an answer. Why would God allow suffering? That's the question I think, especially when we're dealing stuff, we're like, why? What's interesting about this book is this book never answers the question because it's not the point. The book never comes around and says, this is why God did this. It doesn't even, even consider the question. It wants you to think about something different. It's not the point. And so the story continues um, it says one day, uh, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Um, and then uh, a messenger came from Job and reported while all of his oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants of the sword with the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay. And he still was speaking. And another, while, while that guy was speaking, another guy showed up. All right, focus, guys. Um, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking. And another one reported. The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword. I alone escaped to tell you. As that guy was speaking, another one showed up. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. Job had good cards. Job also had some bad cards. Very sudden. And the the, the book, the story is trying to make it seem that crazy. And and that's the truth here. Job had some bad, you know, hit. It, what's really interesting is all this happens and Job has no clue why it's happening. We got to see behind the scenes this little engagement between God and Satan. Hey, I need y'all to stop. Um, we got to see what, God was, what was going on behind the scenes, but Job didn't. His life just fell apart. He lost everything. He lost everything. Listen, just follow along. 
And there all these bad things happen, and, and it actually keeps going. This is chapter 1. Chapter 2 has another one where Satan left the Lord's presence again because um, Satan's like, well, he, the only reason he didn't curse you yet is because is I didn't touch him. And God's like, well, fine. Do whatever you want. Satan infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. So, so... Chapter 2, Satan goes back and says, the only reason he didn't curse you is because I, I couldn't touch him. And God's like, well, fine, go touch him. Chapter 2, the second time around. So, yeah, you're still, listen, listen. So, I got a question. So go for it. Like, I mean, obviously that would hurt, like, really bad, uh-huh. especially what if I didn't curse myself. And, like, God's, like, all-knowing, right? Yep. Yep, details. Oh yeah. So why is he allowing Exactly. That's the question. But it doesn't answer it. So oh, hold on. Y'all y'all are doing good by thinking like this. Why in the world would God allow this? But the book never te- the book never tells us. So you don't know. You don't know. When you <laughs> What? Context clues. Alright, listen, listen. Bring it in. Bring it in. Here's the thing. When Job was going through all this stuff, whether, listen, listen, whether he had good cards or bad cards, he still played them to honor God. Here's what it says. Then Job stood up. This was after the first time. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. This, that was just a thing back then. I'm not going to do that. Um, he fell to the ground, and he worshiped. He lost everything, and he fell to the ground and worshiped saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. That's chapter 1. That's after he lost everything. Then Satan pretty much gave him a thousand pimples that hurt, and he had to pop them. That's kind of the picture. Yeah, details. And here's what happens this time. His wife comes up to him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Are you still? No, all his kids. Yeah. Now, now his wife, his wife is still there. <laughs> his wife is still there. But here's what's happening. The wife isn't comforting. The wife's not. She's like, curse God and die. Be done with it. Stop being so good where you're suffering so much. And she's mourning too. So don't condemn her because she's just lost all of her kids too. But here's what Job says. You speak as a foolish woman speaks. And, and he told her, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. We start off, Job's a good guy. He has good stuff, good cards. Lots of bad cards, but he holds on. He plays the cards to honor God. What? We'll get there. So this, we're just two chapters in. This is a 42-chapter book. Okay, so let me fast forward through all this. Um, but uh, the final two chapters uh, or verses, the final few verses of Job, um, his friends show up. He has three friends that show up to comfort him. It says that they showed up, they saw everything that was going on, um, and they just, they just came to, to sympathize, to comfort him. 
That's all they were there for. Um, and when they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud, and each man tore his robe, threw dust into the air and on his head. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. Have any of y'all ever been in a place where you're going through something hard, and the most helpful thing isn't words, it's just presence. Somebody just to sit there with you. Seven days is a long time. Hey, let's have a sleepover. But we're not going to say a thing. Um, that's Okay, that's what we're going to do for youth camp this year. No, we're not going to talk the whole no, time. No, no, no. <laughs> all right, so anyway, anyway. Um, all right, so listen, bring it in, bring it in. Bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. Eyes up here, eyes up here. So all that happens, his friends show up and... For the next 40 chapters, pretty much, 38, or I think it's 40, I guess, um, these conversations start to happen between Job and his friends. And the conversation, you know, the question, they start asking, is God just? Is God a just God? Does he run the world with that justice? Um, And how can we explain Job's suffering in all this? Where's the why? Why is Job suffering? Um, and so these guys are working off this, this big assumption about this. So anyway, Job starts pleading his case. He's like, look, I've done nothing wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. Um, and, and, and he starts to wonder, hey, guys and girls and everybody, whoever. Um, Job comes to the conclusion that God just, you know, maybe God isn't just. Or, or maybe he doesn't run the world with justice. That God doesn't, you know, avenge what is wrong that's kind of where job's at the friends they go no 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 god's just and god does run the world with his justice a very strict you know if a bad thing happens god punishes god will be you know all bad things god punishes and job you must have done something wrong because that's the only explanation for why you're going through something hard why you're struggling why you're suffering and so this happens three times Job is like, I'm innocent. And they're like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. You know, God is, is, is just. No, he's not. You know, that's kind of the conversation. It happens three times. And, and, and then Job kind of gives up here. He stops talking to them, and he just goes to God. And he pours his heart out. He gets real. He gets authentic. He, get, he gets genuine. Because um, he's struggling to understand. You know, he worshiped this God all of his life that he thought was a just God. But now he's going through so much adversity, so much suffering but he's just not sure anymore. And so he starts pouring out his heart. He even calls God a bully, not in those exact words, but he's like, God, you're just picking on me at this point. Or at one point he says, you know, you're the source of all evil, all injustice. And then he's like, sorry, I said that. I, I, I mean, I just don't understand what's going on. He kind of backtracks a little bit. But he makes his final defense and asks God, answer me. It's time for you to answer, God. I I've, I've said everything, and these guys have said a bunch of things, and we're, off, all, we're not on the same page here. Well, at this point, a surprise friend shows up. Another random dude shows up, and this guy, he says, God is just, that God does run his world with a strict justice. But the friend doesn't claim to know why Job is suffering, but he does say that Job is wrong to accuse God for calling him unjust. Okay, that's, that's the story so far. 
all these conversations, and then God shows up. God speaks. And here's what's really interesting. When God speaks, he, he, he kind of does a, a show and tell, a tour of the universe. He shows Job creation and the animals and the plants and the oceans. He's like, look, where were you when these things were established? Where are you when this lion gets the food so it needs to survive? Where are you when this deer gets what it's need? Or this bird? Where were you when all this happened? And you think you have the right to call me out? That's what God's pretty much saying. Who watches over the deer and the lions, the stars and the world? Who's been around since the beginning? And the point is that he is, God is saying to Job and his friends, do, you, do any of you have a big enough perspective to be able to see it all, to know it all, to, to, to make these assumptions that you are making? You have a limited perspective. I have the eternal perspective. There is a bigger context, and you're not seeing all of it in the place that you are at. And you're not able to make accusations because you just don't get it. God even asked Job, do you want to run it all? Do you want to repay evil for evil the way that you see it? So every bad thing, that there's no mercy. There's, do you want to run it all? Do you want to take care of everybody? you want to try to bring everybody back into the right relationship with me, with your version of justice? We're going to kill you because you did something bad. This is God's, you know, he's like, look, justice is more complex than that. The world is more complex than that. Justice is tied to restoration. And that's, the, you know, the point is God's world is amazing. It's full of goodness, but it's not, it's not perfect anymore. It's, it's not always safe. The world's a little bit jacked up now. It has order and beauty, but it's also wild and dangerous. So why is there suffering in God's world? It's still a question that you're, you're asking as you're reading through all this, but the answer is never given because, again, that's not the point of this book, the book of Job. The only response is that we live in an amazing world that is not designed at this stage to prevent suffering. That's kind of the only answer that we've gotten so far. We live in an amazing world, but there's still suffering. Job challenged God's justice in a genuine way. He poured out his heart as he was going through stuff. God responded saying, you're not in a place to make that claim, that accusation. Job responds. He's like, look, I want an explanation. And God's like, look, Honestly, you're just going to have to trust me. If I'm the one with all the wisdom, if I'm the all-knowing sovereign one, you're just going to have to trust me. And that's your choice there. That's what you're left with. And so Job, he ends up responding in humility and repentance. He kind of comes back to God. He says, sorry, he apologizes because he recognized he crossed a line, called some things to God that, God isn't. But God responds in a few ways. He calls out Job's friends because he's like, look, y'all were all wrong. Y'all had such a small view of how I do things, of such a small perspective that you're, you're missing out um, on, on how complex and amazing and endless my knowledge and workings are. And then God says to Job, good job. What? 
I was in trouble. No, no, good job for wrestling through those tough questions, for asking and being real with your questions. Good job. You know, God, you know, is pleased by the way Job is wrestling through what he's going through and going to God about it and his friends. And then God honors Job's struggle and honesty, but, but not only that, he, only, he not only says good job, he restores everything in Job's life. Um, it goes on. This is, we're in chapter 42, the last chapter of Job here. It says, The Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters and named his first daughter and all the, yeah, the names. Um, and there's no women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land. Their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after this after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation then job died old and full of days there you go that's the end of the book of job and 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 it's it's you're still kind of left with some questions there especially he's dead now like oh that that wasn't really a happy ever after because he's dead he dies um he learned a lot he had good cards he had bad cards, but no matter the cards he had, he honored God with those cards. So what about us? I want you to consider your life. What are some of the cards in our life? You know, most of the time it, when we look out, it seems like everybody else has better cards than we do. That they have a better setting, circumstance, people, whatever. You know, we, we just look out and... and yeah, we see people, it just seems like they're doing better, especially when it comes to social media. Nobody posts the bad cards of their life. No, we try to hide those. And like Kate just said, they're bluffing, um, just like in the, the poker game. But the truth is, everybody has good cards and everybody has bad cards. We all have good and bad cards. We might not see other people's bad cards, but we have to remember, like we talked last week, we don't know what somebody else is going through. We don't know the cards of somebody else. And we can't assume. Like we see with Job and his friends, we, when we assume things, we kind of get ourselves in trouble. Matthew 5 um, says this, So that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is all about just blessing. He wants to share his blessing with everybody. Doesn't mean he is unjust. Doesn't mean he doesn't discipline. Because he does. But he's like, look, I'm going to show grace and mercy too. That's part of justice. They're tied together. So everybody has good cards and bad cards. The reality is we don't all have aces and jokers in our hand all the time. We might have cards that we wish were a bit different, and every now and then we get kind of a wild card in there that, oh, this cha- this changes everything. Like right now in our life, my car is acting up. That's a wild card. We can't afford a, another car right now, and so we're just hoping it works out, that it fixes itself. Um, and sometimes it does that, but uh, it's kind of weird. But, you know, there's there's some... We have all sorts of cards, but here's the thing. Everybody has good cards and bad cards, but God is present at the turn of every card. God is active. He is there. He is wanting to 
work with you on how to play the cards that are in your hand that you've been dealt. He's present at every turn of cards. Matthew 6 says, don't worry saying what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear for the Gentiles. The worldly people eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father, he knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will come. Everything that you need will be provided. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, we all make plans, but we don't know what the future holds. Only God knows these things. We think we know the motives behind why people do what they do, but we don't. Only God knows these things. And ultimately, our, our cards may be good or bad, Um, But God is constantly working out everything with this perfect plan, even though we may not understand it. We might not fully see it. We may not know what our future holds or or where we're going to get what we need for the next day, but we know the one who holds the future. He has access to the deck. He has access to everything. We all have good cards and bad cards, and God is there at the turn of every card, and every hand has the potential of winning, to be a winning hand. Regardless of what cards you've been dealt, you have the potential to have a winning hand. Uh, Scripture, Romans 8, 28, For we know all things work together for the good of those who love God that are called according to His purpose. See, God is trying. He desires. He wants to work everything together, and He is. He's doing it. For our sake, he, he, for the good of those, you know, his people, he wants to work things out, even when we have bad cards. In the end, when we can't figure it out, we need to be reminded that God can do anything, that, that nothing is impossible for God, that, that if God says so, it, it, it will work out. And you can trust God's promises. You can trust that he has your back, even when things don't make sense, when your questions aren't being answered. He's got your back. We do the possible and we allow God to do the impossible. See, the real issue here is not the cards that you have. It's how you're playing them. Stormy, will you unmute the video? Have you ever thought about the cards that you've been dealt? Have you ever taken the time to examine your life as if it were a hand of cards? For many of you, you would look at the hand that you've been dealt and go, I've been given a great hand. I don't want to change a thing. And still there are others. You would look at a few of your cards and you would go, these are the hard and bitter cards. It's as if we would say, if I could just trade in these cards, my life would be so much better. But that's just it. You can't trade in the cards that you've been dealt. These are your cards, whether you like the way they feel or not. It's interesting. The people that we want validation from, the people we want to like us, the people we want to impress, we hide these uglier cards behind the more noble, significant, prettier cards. These are the cards that we want people to see. These are the cards that we've based so much our identity on. It's human nature, I guess. But deep down, we know the cards that we've been dealt. There's no escape in it. It's who we are. We can't reshuffle the deck. We can't trade any of them in. 
It's in our DNA. It's in our makeup. The truth is, you are all in. But what if we stopped? What if we stopped and just took some time to look at the hands that we've been dealt? Is it coincidence? Or is it just life? Or is it God? The argument would be, why would an all-knowing, all-loving God give me this deck of cards? If he really loved me, why these cards? And these are the cards of pain, of chaos, of guilt, of hurts, of hang-ups, of habits. And amongst this deck, for some of you, there are some really cruel cards. Cards of rejection, depression, addiction, abuse, and the card that none of us can escape from. But if we were to stop and think back, oh, there are some great cards in this deck, like when you were a little kid and the first time that you made your dad laugh and he laughed so wholeheartedly, that was a great card. That was a great day. The first time you tied your shoes, your first kiss, when you graduated college and nobody said that you could do it. The first time that you used your gifts and talents and someone looked at you and you knew they meant it and said, you are good at this. And the first time you stood up for yourself. These are the pretty cards. These are the ones that we move to the front of the deck. And these are the cards that we reuse. We relive. We reshuffle because we care for validation from other people. But what does God think? What if God were to take a look at all our cards? Which ones would he choose? More than likely, they would not be the prettier, significant cards, but they would be an array of both good and bad cards. You see, he wants to use the most heart-wrenching cards as much as he wants to use the cards that have brought you peace and joy. Don't discount the fact that God wants to use the most difficult cards because these cards have brought blessings and they have given us the greatest learning lessons of life. To God, these aren't a bunch of good and bad cards. To God, they're just cards. And if we surrender we can see the hand that we've been dealt. It can give God glory. It can remind us that it's not our story, but his story. And if we're really still, we can even catch a glimpse of heaven. So the question is, aren't you tired of pretending to deal with your deck of cards? Aren't you wore out trying to hide behind some of the more glamorous cards? Doesn't it shortchange God with the story of our life? To him, you have been given the greatest hand that you could ever imagine. And for me, I'm all in. I'll play the hand that I've been dealt.
there's there's a lot that we've been dealt. Um, sometimes you're dealt stupid technology, which is really all the time. Um, we talk about how there's gremlins in our technology all the times. Um, but again, the issue isn't the cards that you have, yet that's what we focus on so much. The issue is how you choose to play them. Like we talked about, when it comes to failing relationships, when we feel like we can't connect with other people, we run away from it and we end up with fear, with shame, hiding and blaming. We do that all the time. We run away. We blame somebody else. We sit in our shame and our misery. Um, There's just a couple scriptures I want to look at real quick. Matthew 11 has Jesus. He's sitting in a, a, a group of people. And he sees they're dealing with some heavy cards. And he look, he's like, look, come to me. Everybody who's worn out, who's burdened, who's overwhelmed, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke. Remember, we talked about oxen, yoke, the thing that you put around their necks. You know, sometimes we feel like we're, we're just carrying so much weight. He's like, look, take my yoke, the weights that I have because they're light. Learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's another one in 1 Peter 5 here that says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, the sovereign king, the almighty one, the creator of everything, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your cares on him because he cares for you. How are you going to play your cards? So so up here, I have my cards. Various things written on it. Y'all, y'all saw the birth of Carissa. You know, that's a, that's a good card. But uh, I have some dif- dif- difficult ones as well. Um, lots of great ones and lots of hard ones. And what's cool is this is the second time I've done this. The last time I did it was about 10 years ago. Um... And, and my cards have changed a bit. As you go, you're dealt new hands. Some of, some of them stay the same. Some of them always will. I was brought up in a great home. That's always going to be a good card. Um, but some of the ones I wrote down last time um, just don't matter as much anymore. They mattered then. Like my first time to preach, that made a big difference in my life. I've preached a thousand times since, since then. And I'm blessed by it, but it's just, it's changed. It's changed. And so my question for you, what are your cards? Do you know your cards? Do you try to cover them up to hide them? So I want to give you an opportunity tonight to maybe write out some of your own cards. We're going to take a time of, of just kind of some reflection and a time of action, of response, where you get to write out some of your cards. On these tables all around, I have cards sitting out, and I'm going to go throw some more out in a second. So if you want to write several, you can. Go buy a whole deck of cards, and you can you know, write on the whole thing. Um, you know, bad, bad cards. So my friends walked away in my life. That's in both decks, actually, because it hurts every time. But again, it's not about the cards you have. It's about how you choose to play them. And so let me just... Let me just pray for you and kind of where you're at in your deck of cards, the cards of life, that you might 
embrace the cards that you have and choose to play them in a way that that honors God, that runs to God, that gets real with God, um, and that chooses to love others as well. So, Father God, I just thank you for what you're doing in, in my life and, and the cards that you've given me, even though they're not all pretty. Because I, I do see how you're using all these cards to grow me, to build me up, to exalt me at the proper time. So God, help me to continue humbling myself, bowing before you, following, surrendering to you. But God, I also pray for these students out here because they, they have some heavy cards as well. High school, middle school, that, that's a heavy card of itself. So God, I pray for them that they might see their cards the same way some of us do. That all these cards can be a blessing. All these cards can be used for our good. Not to always hide those cards like we're so used to doing. But to be people that are genuine, that are full of integrity. People that fear the Lord and that choose to turn away from evil. That choose to do what's right. And God, you will exalt us at the proper time. So God, I just thank you and I praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.